0: you uh, will be in revelation or not revelation <laughs> what is this sermon about uh genesis 8 verse 20 is really the one main verse we're going to look at that's really the only so you, we know the noah story we just kind of read it verse 20 is after noah uh, comes out he's rescued from the ark and it says then noah built an altar to the lord and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds he sacrificed burnt offerings on it And the next verse, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, "Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination in the human heart is evil from childhood." That's basically what we're going to focus on uh, this morning. And maybe this is not a um, super exciting, or not exciting, a super uh, joyful beginning to a New Year's message, because I mean, I know Noah's Ark is supposed to be a kid's story because you have animals and stuff, but it's horrific. It's, a, it's the scary, maybe one of the scariest stories in the entire Bible. And so maybe before we even get into Noah, because that might seem like so gigantic and so enormous, I can't even fathom it, have in your head right now, what is the worst thing, the most horrible thing that has ever happened to you in your own life, in, our, in your own little small short span of life? What is the worst thing that has ever happened to you? Have that in your head. When that was over, or maybe you're in it now, and maybe it's not over, maybe you're living in it now, but when it is over at some point, what do we do? How do we recover? Our lives, especially life during a pandemic, can feel like careening from one disaster to the next. Remember when people were freaking out because of the petrol shortage? Is that still going on? I don't even know if that's still going on. Definitely not going on here. Uh, remember when people were uh, freaking out because Y2K? Were you around for that? Like, oh, it's going to destroy everything. And maybe lots of work had to be done so things wouldn't be destroyed. I don't remember. Um, the HGV shortage, Brexit. Now, some of these things are still going on. But some of these things have come and passed. How did we act? Well, how did we kind of mark the ending of a disaster? Often when a disaster, disaster is over, What we normally do is just kind of keep on doing what we did before just with, like, a little less anxiety. And if we don't have a way to mark when a disaster is over, or at least to kind of come through it in a way uh, with different kinds of eyes, what we get is all the outrage, all the anxiety, all the fear, all the worry. We get to carry that, and we don't have a channel to process that. We don't have a place to put it. So we get to get those things on our backs. But then we just kind of carry them with us even after the disaster is over. We still have that anxiety. We still have that worry. We still have that fear. But now it's just applied to different things. Now, I don't know when this pandemic will be behind us. But I do know when it is, it won't be the last horrible thing to happen in our lives. There will be more horrible things to happen. And what this story here in, in, in it, uh, Genesis 8 can teach us is how to live through a disaster and how to also mark when that disaster is over? What is our natural response? What, what's our reflex going to be? And what we're going to get in this Noah story is an ideal to strive for. Like this, is, wouldn't it be great if we lived like this? Is the kind of human I want to be? Um, but we'll also see where Jesus is in all this, and how He Himself is uh, is the way for us. And we're going to stick in that Genesis eight twenty verse. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds. He sacrificed burnt offerings in it. Which, if you take that verse by itself, you're like, what in the world is that? But if you take that verse in the context of, that, of the story of Noah, it means something. Because the first thing Noah and his family does after being rescued is he sacrifices to the Lord. He worships the Lord. So three things we're going to just briefly look at. Gratitude, worship, and sacrifice. And this is how to make a new year New. There are going to be disasters. Some won't end. Some will be ongoing. Some will end. But how do we make that new year new? We make resolutions because we want to get a feeling of newness. If we, if we are, live out of gratitude, worship, and sacrifice, we can live out of that newness. So let's look at this first thing here in gratitude. See, Noah was grateful when he left the ark. He's spending time to build an altar when the whole world needed to be repopulated. Noah had a massive to-do list. If you think you had a lot of things to do on your list, it wasn't as much as Noah. It's like, repopulate the earth, restart humanity, reboot like the world. Like, you might feel like that for you, but no one has that responsibility. Noah did, but he didn't look at the to-do list first. What he looked at was how to worship God first, even though the to-do list was really long. I think gratitude requires realizing where we came from, and Noah knew where he came from. He came from a devisa- devastating disaster brought on by the evil of people. And now he's walking on dry land again. And the way the Bible tells the story, it's as if this is the very first thing Noah does. In verse 19, they're, uh, they're walking out, all the birds and, the gra- and, and all the animals and the people are walking out. In verse 20, he builds the altar. It's like before he can even really maybe get a lay of the land, he he's wants to sacrifice to the Lord. And the thing about gratitude is it requires another person you can't be generically grateful. That doesn't mean anything. That's empty. I'm like grateful. Oh, t- to who? Uh, the universe? Like the universe doesn't care if you're grateful to it. Great. Being grateful requires a person. In Psalm 50, the writer tells us that God doesn't need our sacrifices. As if He eats, or as if He's in need of something. It's not like He's He can't wait for us to sacrifice in order for Him to get something. He doesn't need sacrifices, but what He requires is our hearts. Psalm 50. Verse 15 says this. uh, This is God speaking to us. Call on me in your day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. God wants us to call on him in our day of trouble. When we're in trouble, we go to the Lord. And when he delivers us in gratitude, we go, we honor him. See, God is honored by our hearts. Before anything, he's honored by our hearts. I wonder how often we try and do things and think, that we're honoring God or think God will be honored by it, but our hearts are very far from it. I mean, this could be any rota for church, but it can also be any way to serve your family. Like, oh, I know I need to do this and this and this because this is what a good husband does. or This is what a good Christian does. But your heart is very far from actually the reason why you do those things. God's not honored by them. He's honored by our hearts. And and if you want to live in that kind of to-do list way, that's a really good way to be religious and far from God. And we don't need more of those people. We need people who who have hearts that are changed by the Lord, who want to honor the Lord. But the thing is that uh, we're not inclined to be grateful at all times, right? It's just not a normal, natural thing for us often. I think it's much easier instead of to be grateful, it's a lot easier to moan instead. Moaning is much easier. It's a much easier thing. The opposite of gratitude is moaning. See, moaning is different than something like lament. The Bible tells us to bring difficulties to the Lord, but lament isn't self-focused. Lament is, uh, is something that we um, offer to others and offer to God in, in a vulnerability. Moaning always comes with a bit of entitlement because you think you deserve better, and that's why you get to moan. Noah doesn't moan. He really could have. Or at least we're not told that he does. All those days with his immediate family, even if there were no animals. I mean, you, you hung out with some family over Christmas, maybe over New Year's. You're like, uh oh, they're okay, but I'm glad I get to go back home in the end. It's not always easy. And then all, all the, you're adding all the animals into the mix and like feeding the animals and cleaning them. Like, the ark must have been horrible. like Smelly, stinky, Like how are they eating food? I don't know. Like Not hygienic, that's for sure. And, and then also the pressure of having to reboot humanity at the end of that. Surely Noah could have been like, God, this is too much. Like, I just need a break. I need to like chillax on the sofa with some Netflix and Chris or whatever the thing is. But he doesn't moan because he's not entitled here. He knows where he came from and is grateful to God for rescuing him because he had gratitude in his heart. He had gratitude in his heart. So there's gratitude and there's also worship because Noah's first act after leaving this horrible ark, leaving this atrocity that was so bad God promised never to do it again, he worshiped. It was his first response, like a reflex. If we're grateful to God, who's a personal being, if we're personally grateful to him, worship naturally follows. That's what being grateful is. It's an act of worship. And Noah had a close relationship with the Lord. He knew his voice. God could speak to him, and he knew it was the voice of God. God told him to do something where he probably felt really weird, probably felt really awkward, really silly. And Noah didn't shy away from it. He carried on. And by the way, if you think, being a Christian, uh, in with your neighbors or in your workplace, if you feel like a level of awkwardness, you have nothing on Noah. Like you didn't spend years and years building some ark that everyone was like that no one's ever going to use that thing, right? You you got it pretty easy actually. So we might feel a little awkward, but really nothing on what Noah might have. Uh, but Noah's first act in all this is just to worship God, and really worshiping, it's not something that we're worship is never something we're not doing. We're always worshiping. We're created to do that. that's, that's who we are. We're beings that worship we're never not worshiping. Whenever you see a film or hear a great song, there's an element of worship. Oh, wow. When you go on a walk, if if anyone, you know, did the good, maybe semi-healthy thing on New Year's and went on a walk and you get like, you know, a beautiful view or a great image or especially if you're like up high in a mountains, you look down in a valley you're like, oh, what like that, that image of, of awe, that feeling of, of wow, that's what worship is. And all of us are natural evangelists when it comes to things that we worship. Oh, you have, have you seen that film yet? You have to see it. That's evangelism. You, you, oh, you don't know that artist? He is so good. Oh my gosh, when he plays this and this and this, I love it. Like that, that's, that's evangelism. Have you, you not been on that walk? You have to go on this particular trail, this particular time of the year, so you can see things in this way. That's called evangelism. The question isn't, are we worshiping or not? It's more like, what are we worshiping? What are we spending our time worshiping? And Noah's first response, his reflex even, was to worship the lord he was in awe of him now you might think that a reflex is something that we're just kind of born with like innate we have in, an innate kind of reflex time uh, the runner's reaction time at the start of a race that's something they're born with and you can't really do anything about it and yes we're all born with our own kind of base level reflexes but it's also something everyone can grow in to grow stronger in a reflex is one has to train that's just kind of how it works runners train so the reaction times get better It's the same with our spiritual reflexes. In order to grow stronger in our spiritual reflexes, we need to train, to practice. That's what spiritual disciplines are all about. Reading the Bible, praying, giving generously, worshiping with each other, even just being with each other. These are some ways that we train our reflexes to naturally worship the Lord instead of something else. And if we aren't doing these things, our reflexes will be slower or even dead. Now, this is the time of the year when maybe you're thinking of like, oh, I'd like to do better than I did last year in these kind of particular areas. And just to give like a few kind of book recommendations, I already did it in the Redeemer WhatsApp group, but I will subject everyone to it again. Um, there's a few things. One is Dan and Allie Collins gave me and Christina this book, uh, Gentle and Lowly, that we finally, I finally got to read recently, um, which is fantastic. If you, are ever, if you want to know more on how much God loves to love you, he's not doing it begrudgingly, he's not loving you, but like also semi-disappointed, this is a great book on how the Bible teaches the reality of how much God loves to love you. So if you're like, oh, I would love to know more about that, buy this book. Or if you can't buy it, I'll buy it for you. It's great. It's fantastic. Another book, if you want to grow in prayer, the easily the best book I've ever read on prayer, I've read a few, is A Praying Life by Paul Miller. If you're like, this year, I'd like to like, I think I'd like to grow in prayer. It's not your typical thing of like how to do it. There's some of that in there. But it's more of like cultivating a heart of prayer, of talking to God. And this book is fantastic for it. So buy that. The other thing that I'd recommend is if you've never actually read the whole Bible before, and many Christians haven't. That's okay. Um, but if maybe this is the year to begin reading the whole Bible. Not that you have to do it all in a whole year, although it's a good way to do that. Um, maybe this is the year where you might start that. There are loads of reading plans out there. Uh, the one that we're some people in Redeemer are jumping into is the Bible Projects reading plan. It comes with videos, which is always good. Watch a video, and then you're maybe more inclined to read or something like that. But whatever you do, uh, think of, of, of the beginning of this year as maybe I want to grow a little bit in this. It's great to have that want, it's great to have that desire, but if it's not um, combined with a way to do it, then you just feel really guilty. Like I want to do that, like I wanted to, you know, lose weight or run or whatever the thing is, and I didn't do it. Well, if you have some kind of plan, then actually you might do it. And even if you don't read the whole Bible in a year or don't finish the book or whatever, if you've read a little bit more than what we had before, that's a win. And that's fine. It's completely fine. How many Bible in a year plans have I started and not really finished at all? or it took me like way longer. That's completely fine. There's no need to put some kind of weird pressure on yourself. And can I also say, speaking of spiritual disciplines, sometimes all the time, most of the time, you don't feel it. That's okay. When I run in the morning, I don't feel it. I don't get excited to run in the morning but while everyone else is sleeping. I'm not like, I'm gonna feel great getting up when I should rather be sleeping and start running. No, it's not enjoyable really Uh, the best part of the run is when you're done with it when you're finished but i don't expect to feel i don't expect to love it in the morning when i'm waking up when it's still dark outside but the reason why i do it is because i know it's good for me i know it keeps me healthy the same thing with spiritual disciplines you might be like i don't want to like be legalistic and force myself to read the bible because i don't really feel it just read the bible stop thinking about how you're feeling just read the bible i guarantee you it's going to be good for you because it's god speaking to you Spiritual disciplines work the same way with any other kind of discipline. You don't do it to feel good. You do it to be spiritually healthy, to be spiritually whole. Okay, enough of all that. Let's talk about Noah. Um, All that he had to go through, you would think, and this is sometimes how it's taught, I think, in in Sunday school kind of settings. You would think that he's the hero of the story, wouldn't you? Oh, no, he did all this stuff. He built the ark. He brought everybody through. He's the one who's worshiping. He's the one we're talking a lot lot about today. That's often how it's told. And he, he has heroic moments, to be sure. But how did this hero react when the mission was over? He didn't big up himself. He didn't say, wasn't I amazing family taking you through? Oh, Lord, aren't you so excited to have a servant like me? And say, oh, now I get to start the whole world over again. I really am something, aren't I? No, he submits and he worships God. In a very humble way, he could have worshiped himself, but his reflex was to worship the Lord. That doesn't come overnight. That's a lifetime of learning, a lifetime of acting. And this is often, though, how we view our own lives, that we're the hero in our own story. Like, it's all about us. We're the ones that must have it all. We're the ones that got to overcome all the odds against us. And so when it looks like there are victories in our lives, we think we did it. And when things don't go well, well, we probably blame that on someone else and start moaning a bit, maybe. But the story of Noah rightly puts us in our place. We didn't do it, whatever it is, any more than Noah did it, because the Lord is the hero in this story. He's the one who shuts Noah in, He's the one who protects Noah, and He's the one who brings him out safely. So if the opposite of gratitude is moaning, the opposite of worshiping the Lord is worshiping ourselves. Noah teaches us that we ought to cultivate a reflex of worshiping God. So we have generosity, we have worship. And lastly, this morning, we'll talk about uh, sacrifice. How does Noah worship God? When God delivered Noah, Noah worshiped through building an altar and sacrifice. Now look, it's not like this was the end of something altogether, like them leaving the ark. This wasn't the end, this is the very beginning. There's a beginning all over again. There was lots of work to be done. And it doesn't take long where, com- where, I mean, if you read, you know, further verses, you're going to find, oh, Noah completely messes everything up. He gets drunk and completely fails, like, utterly. But here in this moment, we see someone who worships through sacrifice. Now, there is no worship without sacrifice. If you, there's no way that those things uh, exist without each other. Worship is giving yourself, and there's no giving without sacrifice. Animals are in short supply, and what does Noah do? He sacrifices them. Noah, are you sure you want to take these birds? Because there's not very many birds left. There's not very many animals left. You're going to kill them to sacrifice? The l- it seems very costly. There's not very many of these animals left. Worship doesn't exist without sacrifice. And this new world, after the flood, begins with gratitude, worship, and sacrifice. Now, we looked at Psalm 50 earlier, where the context was God wants our hearts. As we sacrifice for the Lord, He he doesn't really need the sacrifice. That's how we go about worshiping him. What he wants first is our hearts. A little bit later in Psalm 50, uh, the writer says this, those who sacrifice, thank offerings, honor me. And to the blameless, I will show my salvation. Those who sacrifice, thank offerings, honor me. How to honor God, how to worship him is through thankful, thankful sacrifices. And what do we get? We get to be rescued from being full of ourselves. Sacrifice means you feel it. It's not begrudging. You're happy to give, but but it's a bit dear. Now, after Jesus, we don't sacrifice animals anymore, but that doesn't mean we don't sacrifice at all. We sacrifice our time to be here, to be with other people, to be with the Lord. We sacrifice our attention. You could be doing anything else right now, but right now we're listening to what the Lord has to say to us. You sacrifice money. God has blessed us with money in order to bless other people. We sacrifice our ego. We sacrifice what looks right in our own eyes and surrender to what the Lord tells us how to live. And those are just a few of the things that we sacrifice. And this is exactly what Paul is getting at, at Romans 12, verse 1. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. True and proper worship means our whole lives, not just some kind of like worship service or not some kind of small part of our life. Our whole lives, our bodies are living sacrifices to the Lord. And like the story in Noah, this pleases God because God smelled the aroma from the sacrifice that Noah gave and was pleased. Same thing here. This is holy and pleasing to God. The Lord is pleased, with a life led this way. So the opposite of sacrifice, like worship, is being self-centered. We're naturally self-centered in our causes, in our comforts. We think or we want the world to revolve around us, and we always try and contort things to make it work like that. And You know, mostly we can. If you have enough money, you mostly can. And we we, we focus the world around what we think is important and around what will be the easiest thing for us. But uh, Martin Luther King has this fantastic quote. He said, Life isn't worth living until you've found something worth dying for. And I somehow don't think that that new Netflix series is really worth dying for. It might be amazing. It might be great. We're watching a great series on Amazon Primer now. It's awesome. It's not that awesome. But when there's something that's worth it, we do sacrifice. Think of all the things that really matter in your life. You do sacrifice for those things. Sometimes it feels like we die for those things. Plenty of people give time and money to get a bigger house, to advance their careers, to get that next cool thing. And of course, there's nothing wrong with a house or or whatever else uh, you want to get in your life. But what is your life about? What do you want your life to be about? That consumerist lie that if you had your life organized just right, everything is going to be perfect, like some kind of little Eden that you're cultivating for yourself. The lie that if your kids are okay, that makes you okay. The lie that if your career is going well, then you're doing well. None of those things, as great as they are, and they're probably great. They're probably fantastic. You probably have amazing kids. But none of those things are worth your life completely. You're worth far too much. And we often settle for far too little. In all of your pursuits, whatever they might be, never, never settle for anything less than God himself. So buy that house. Yeah, but don't settle for anything less than God himself. Work in that career. Yes, work hard. Put your passions into it. Settle. Put everything you can into it. But don't settle for anything less than God himself. Love your family. Give to them. Be the good husband. Be the good father, mother, partner, whatever it is. But never settle for anything less than God himself. Because that's what you're made for. You're worth so much more than what we settle for. This way of living, of not settling for, for anything else, it does require sacrifices. It basically requires us to sacrifice a small life. And the Lord is pleased with that. And it's actually a much better life for us as well at the same time. When we see how great, how beautiful, how loving, how magnificent God really is, then we have found something worth dying for. And that's how something like a new year can feel new, can be new. And when the Father and the Son and the Spirit sought us, so that our hearts are only inclined towards evil, just like in Genesis 8, he saw something worth dying for. So where is Jesus in all this? This is just like, you guys should all be like, no, we'll just do a little bit better next year. We'll talk about it next year, right? No, what, where, how do, where's Jesus in all this? Well, this flood, as horrible and difficult and disaster laden as it was, has nothing on what Jesus went through in his life. Has nothing on what Jesus went through in his death. The flood that Jesus went through is worse than any disaster film you can think of, was worse than any kind of horrible thing that came into your mind in the beginning of this message. It was so big and so massive and cosmic that something like the flood here in Genesis 8 becomes nothing but a mere shadow in light of the cross. And after the flood, when God is pleased and when he promises not to send another flood, even then God knows the darkness inside of us and he promises not to bring a flood even though our inclination, every inclination, Is towards evil, what verse 21 says. So God didn't send a flood. Instead, what he did is he sent his son. See, God makes good on his promises. And Jesus' heart, thankfully, is different than ours. Ours are inclined towards evil. Jesus is always nothing but good. On the cross, Jesus took all those evil inclinations, all that brokenness within us, all the evil that we're concerned about, all the moaning, all the self-worship, all the self-centered living, all the ways that we know we shouldn't live, See, we deserve the flood, but Jesus took it all on himself. And the darkness of this world that suppresses us, that we willingly let suppress us. And in fact, what the Bible says, we even like join in in that suppression. We join in with the darkness that suppress the goodness. We suppress God. We suppress other people. We even suppress ourselves. What Jesus does is he frees us from all of that. And so now on this side of the disasters in our hearts, in our world, some we've been subjected to, some we've caused. Now after Jesus has come into our world and given us his own self for us, how do we act? Well, we're grateful, we worship, and we sacrifice. And more than just a model to aspire to, Jesus, through after he resurrected, he ascended to the Father, and in that massive cosmic power, what he did? He sent the Holy Spirit into the world to live inside of us so that we could live this way. So now it's, not a matter of like tr- now it's not a matter of trying really hard to be like Noah. Now it's a matter of surrendering to the Holy Spirit that's already at work in our hearts in order for him to do that work that only he can do to begin with. So even the act of surrendering is an act of grace. Even the act of wanting to worship, sacrifice, and, and, uh, and, and live more like the way Noah's t- called <laughs> us to becomes an act of grace in itself because the Holy Spirit God himself working in our hearts. So now the Christian life isn't something we just try and do better with. It's a beautiful truth that we get to surrender to. It's a beautiful person that we're more than happy to follow. See, Jesus changes the thing that no one else can change, not even ourselves. Jesus changes our hearts. The way that Psalm 50 tells us to live. The way that Genesis 8 is telling us to live. From being self-centered to uh, a life of worship and sacrifice and gratitude. And through Jesus, we can live in gratitude. We can worship God, and we can live sacrificially. And that's how our new year gets to be new, even just a little bit more. And next year, get to be new, even just a little bit more. And we get to do that over and over and over again. Now, each week, uh, we celebrate the Lord's Supper at Redeemer, and it's a symbol of our neediness for Him and how only He meets that need. And what we get to do, especially as we eat and drink today in light of this story, we get to be kind of reminded in tangible ways of how Jesus has removed the disasters in our hearts and frees us to live in the way we've been talking about today. And if Jesus has changed you, uh, you are more than welcome to join us. And maybe that's just happened today or maybe it's happened, happened recently. But if Jesus has not changed you yet, um, don't take, don't eat and drink along with us because basically you'd be doing something very outwardly r- religious that your heart doesn't believe in and we don't want anyone to be doing that. Now, you don't have to be a, a member of Redeemer or Grace Church, um, but uh, again, if you don't believe in Jesus yet, we're really happy that you're here. Just don't take with us. If you do believe in Jesus, you're free to take with us, regardless of what church you're a part of. And know this, anyone who wants to get in on this can. There's no one more inclusive than Jesus. So if you're like, wow, that sounds really great, but I don't know if I can. Actually, yes, you can. Anyone can. Anyone can get in on this. And maybe this might be an opportunity to start. Now, normally what we do at Redeemers, we take as we sing, but being two churches together— that's just great to, like, see each other as we kind of take and eat at the same time. So you have these under your, uh, your door prizes. If you've come this morning, has been communion, bread and water and juice. Do so you have them underneath? Once you grab that there. The top has a wafer and the bottom has the juice. So if you take the top part off there. With this wafer, what it does is it symbolizes Jesus' body that took on the punishment that we deserved, that we are no longer held under the flood, but raised to a new life that can actually live this way. Let's take and eat together. And what we get with this cup is a symbol of the blood that Jesus gave on our behalf, putting to death the evil in our hearts, and allowing us to live in gratitude in worship and sacrifice. Let's drink together. Jesus, as we eat and drink uh, these elements, and also as we eat and drink of your words to us this morning, we thank you for being the sacrifice for us, for being the sacrifice that we can never do ourselves. We thank you that you are more than enough. You're more than what we need, and you constantly give us more of yourself as we go. So, God, I pray that you continue to be gracious to us, you continue to love us as we grow in gratitude and worship and sacrifice, whether we're part of Redeemer, whether we're part of Grace Church, whether we're part of any other church or not even part of a church yet here in Manchester, but we ask for you to do that through your church here in Manchester as it is in heaven. We pray in your name. Amen. To the good news that we have just heard, let's stand and sing together.